the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, wherever it is you get your podcast. Some of you, you're maybe listening on your podcast right now, and you're like, yeah, no duh, that's how I got here in the first place. You're listening on your podcast. Props (laughs) to you. Right. So uh, if you like, review, comment, subscribe, all that stuff actually helps us somehow, so uh, if you'd be so kind. That would make both of us smile so, so big. And uh, we promise we'll give you a high five if we ever meet you. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that we, we talk about in general is about Mondays as pastors <laughs> tends to be sort of our like loopy day. Yep. So just as a disclaimer for the whole show, there's something about the day after preaching. And we'll talk about that a little later in the show, actually, what we preached about. Um, I'll tease mine up. It involves uh, Monty Python clips. So if that's a teaser, outstanding. If that's a... Yep. Turn off, I totally get that too. Do uh, you want to give a teaser to your sermon? So if this, you had to explain your sermon in like be, one sentence. This won't be about my sermon, but I did have a moment on Sunday where we were getting ready to do communion. And I was trying to say, if this, even if, the, if this is your first Sunday here, or if you've been here for a long time. Yeah. And it came out nothing like that. You want to know what I said? I would love the night. I said, if this is your first or your last Sunday, (laughs) and everyone kind of looked at me, and I stopped and I said, well, that was awkward. Did you say that? (laughs) I did. That was awkward. You just got to own it. And they all laughed. I said, well, hopefully I'm not prophetic people. For one of you, it's not your last Sunday. Oh, my goodness. uh, Yeah. Yesterday was the last day in our series on the I Am Sayings of Jesus. So uh, it was was a hard one, but a good one. So I was excited about it. But like you said... Mondays are a loopy day. If anyone could have been here pre-show and seen kind of like where our conversations went and the no. hilarity of it all, you would understand what we're talking about. I'm like, so glad the microphones were not on. At yeah, that we've time. often said like there needs to be a podcast or a video stream no. of something of when we're off air and two things would happen. I've it not would, said that. <laughs> it would be viral and it would blow up and it would be awesome and we would lose our jobs. You say that a not lot. Not because it's dirty or anything, but because it's oh, just is sure, a good caveat. No, not for the reasons that everyone is thinking. <laughs> just totally for other reasons. That's why. <laughs> for the hilarity of it. Yeah. Oh, that was bad. We lose our jobs yeah. because we're too hilarious. Yeah, I, I see Sorry, where that could have gone. Sorry, you're too funny for the Christian world. Uh, I see where that could have gone. <laughs> Roll it. Th- erase that tape, please, people. <laughs> Who's the people that you're speaking Whoever to? Anyone tapes. who has tape erasing capabilities. Why don't I? Why don't I just pull us out of this erase conversation right into now, the next please. one? All right. Speaking so, of not being awkward, let's oh, talk about. Oh, <laughs> geez, Louise. All right. So uh, here's what I want to talk about. President Donald Trump made a brief unannounced visit to McLean Bible Church on Sunday. And uh, that's the church where David Platt is the pastor of. And um, he prayed for him. I, uh, I actually want to I want us to hear the prayer first 
and then uh, we'll make some some comments about uh, the gathering as a whole. So why don't, why don't we listen to that prayer first? We can't pray that you would give them clarity, wisdom, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Please, oh God, give him wisdom and help him to lead our country alongside other leaders. We pray today for leaders in Congress. We pray for leaders in courts. We pray for leaders at national and state levels. Please, oh God, help us to look to you. Help us to trust in your word. Help us to seek your wisdom and live in ways that reflect your love and your grace your righteousness and your justice. We pray for your blessings on our president toward that end. So a pretty powerful prayer. It was. By by any standards, I think. And I, you know, and I've I've read books by David Platt, I've listened to sermons. Uh I, I've only heard just fantastic things in general, even if you disagree with his theology or his missiology, I just think every account I hear he seems like a stand up guy. Right. So this is uh so this is him with President Donald Trump on a Sunday, uh, they're both on stage together. A lot of people were talking about Trump's new do. They were wondering, is this a new do or is it just hat hair? Uh, but either way, like the Internet, of course, kind of latched onto that and we're freaking out. But uh, what else was going on in this scene that you think is uh, noteworthy, Brian? It's just a weird scene. And and I've really wrestled with it since we uh, knowing that we'd probably talk about this today, because on the one hand, uh, Platt's. Uh, if you've ever read David Platt, right? Like in some ways, it's impressive that the guy who wrote Radical is the guy praying, getting a chance to pray for the president. In another way, there's a little weirdness to it. Like he mm. wrote a book called Radical. and um, But David Platt's an impressive guy. And I think the words of his prayer are spot on and really powerful. Not albeit from us to critique a prayer, but uh, I really like how he prayed, you know, God, you're the king and and. Uh, praying wisdom for the president, but then also for other politicians. Like it wasn't this, um, it wasn't, at least from David Platt in his prayer, it wasn't a pep rally for the president, right? And so there were just some weird optics to it. Like he was there, the president was there for 16 minutes and came off the golf course and was wearing his golf spikes still. On on the stage. On the stage, which felt a little awkward. (laughs) Uh, there was some feel that it was going to be about praying for the people in the Virginia Beach shooting, and then that wasn't mentioned at all. Mm. So it mm. felt more like the whole Franklin Graham, let's pray for our president on this specific day because he's under attack. Uh, the weirder thing was, you know, and, you know, the church can't um, can't control this. But when he came out, uh, just like you said, during the prayer, there was like a lot of pictures to being taken in video. And it was just a, it was a little bit of a surreal and an odd scene. And so. Uh, You know, one of the weird things for me is that as awesome as what I thought Platt's words were, I don't think that's what's going to is going to keep going on. It's going to be the picture of, uh, you know, David Platt, but then also of the president being cheered on a church state. There was just a weird juxtaposition there that, to be honest with you, I'm still wrestling with. I don't know because I love what he prayed and I and I hope what he prayed God answers. (laughs) Like I hope what he prays God answers. There was a weird melding again, and you and I talk about this almost every week, a weird melding of uh, specifically Republican political office and the evangelical church that was hard not to recognize. So that's where I wrestle with it all. Let me ask you what you would do. Let's say let's say you're a pastor in a different state. It's not it's not Illinois. Um, and just to keep the hypothetical going. Yeah. And let's say there there is some sort of unthinkable tragedy in your city. 
the president. Ah, let's keep it specific. Uh, Donald Trump actually shows up uh, to your city mm-hmm. unannounced. And somebody on your team says, hey, um, Trump is here. I was wondering if you would pray for him during during the service. What, what do yep. you do? I think out of respect for the office, I would do it. Uh, but I also would like to caveat that and say if we could go back in a time machine uh, six years and Barack Obama showed up at my church after a similar and everything you just described, I would like to think that these same churches would would hold the exact same prayers. And I. For him, and that's where I'm confident David Platt would, but I'm not sure if that's true hmm. for a lot of our evangelical churches. So what what in your mind would be the benefit uh, of doing that during the service as opposed to something um, before or after or like the urgency of like, hey, he's got 16 minutes. Part of me, part of me is just I like to avoid awkwardness. So if like literally the president of the United States was like, can I come on oh, your stage? Interesting. Like, ah. Do you think that's maybe part of it? Like like Platt felt off guards was like, I He's here right now. All right. I guess we're doing this. Is, the rumor is that Platt didn't know he was coming. Right. That's what I'm reading. And so, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But there's also just I think it's a great picture to our people that says, hey, we're called to pray for our leaders. One of our leaders is here. Let's pray for him. But again, we just can't be selective in the leaders we choose to pray for. And that's where I struggle with the evangelical church. And that's where I also struggle with this melding of political power in the church. Like, I'm not sure I'm right to be to answer your question. Right. I think that's probably how I would handle it. And I would like to think regardless of the politics of my church or any individual pastor, they would do that for any leader, regardless of political party. So what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is you wouldn't necessarily do anything differently if you were in plat shoes, but more a global caution to the big C church in general yeah. to be, to be mindful of when the flag and the cross are holding hands and to, to also pay attention to this, the subtle ways that that tends to happen. Yep. I think so. I think so. And I've really wrestled with it to be honest with you, because I'm sure Platt's getting it from all over the place right now. Just probably positive and negative, to be honest. Yeah. Probably a lot of negative, but, but positive too. And, um, but yeah, I just think, Going back to the Franklin Graham thing about yesterday, yeah. I would think like it's not a coincidence, man, that I, I get it. They said it was for the Virginia Beach thing, but Donald Trump showed up at the church for the first time to be prayed for on the day that Franklin Graham said, everybody pray for the president mm, today. Like yeah. that feels like a political um, photo op. Yep. And that's where you want to be really careful as a church is this political fo- uh, photo op. And so, again, if do you want to know if it's a political photo op in your church? Then ask whether you're if it's a political move, then ask if they would pray for the Democrat president next. Yeah, um, it, that's it's a simple question to ask, but a hard one to answer. Yeah, simple question to ask, hard one to answer. I like that. That's really probably true for a lot of the conversations that we have. Well, uh, coming up next, there was a uh, a pretty profound boxing upset mm-hmm. was not between David Platt and Donald Trump, by the way. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's the conversation we're going to have next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Back to the common good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. That may be the first time that we've started a segment like that. Mm. And on the surface, it's just a massive boxing upset. And we're going to get to why we think this is important. But why don't you just let people know what they're listening to there? First? Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people, boxing used to be the biggest sport in our country a few generations ago. Yep. Not for obvious reasons, it's not anymore. 
Um, but, it, you know, especially when it's the heavyweights going at it, it's still a big deal. And so there is a really well-known heavyweight. He's, you know, one of the problems with boxing is there's not like a champion. There's lots of different belts, but he's one of the heavyweight right, champions. Right. His name's Anthony Joshua. And he's been ducking some of the other big guys. And he took a fight this past Saturday night against a guy by the name of Andy Ruiz Jr. Uh, at a sold-out Madison Square Garden. So they're at Madison Square Garden. They're fighting. This is supposed to be... Joshua is a heavy favorite. He is an 11 to 1 favorite uh, over over Ruiz. Uh, but what ends up happening in the fight uh, is that, and, and so this was supposed to be Joshua's fight before he fights another guy by the name of Deontay Wilder. Uh, this was going to unify a lot of these belts. And so Ruiz comes in. Uh, and if you saw the picture of Ruiz, I would, if you haven't, I would, I would encourage you to Google his name is Andy Ruiz Jr. He is, uh, he, there's no other way to put it, but you're used to, Joshua is like, Anthony Joshua is completely chiseled. He looks like an Adonis. <laughs> like, he looks mm. like what you expect of a boxer. Mm. Uh, Andy Ruiz is the opposite. I'm, I don't know. I'm to say he's fat. He's a fat guy. No, you're not allowed to say that. He is. And like, you look at him and you're like, this guy's like kind of all kind of tatted up and he's really big. And you're like, well, this guy's going to get killed by the Adonis here. And Ruiz didn't just get in a lucky punch. Like, he beat him. Yeah. He beat him, and he defeated Joshua. And it, it, it's kind of, people are likening it way back to, like, Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. Like, not that big. That was a 42-1 to 1 underdog. Right. Uh, but, like, of that kind of seismic deal. And, uh, but here's the funny thing about this, is that while Joshua had a great record, he came in uh, at 22-1, and 1, uh, Ruiz actually came into the fight at 33 and one with 22 knockouts. Hmm. And so what is, uh, what is really interesting about this is like, this wasn't, there's an old boxing term it's called, it's called like when they get a guy to just beat them, like to just go, they call him a tomato can. Like this wasn't an old tomato can that like, <laughs> like this was a legitimate fighter. The guy's 33 and one. And he he legitimately beat Joshua. You heard it in that clip. He knocked him down four times. It's crazy. But he's totally like unorthodox. If you watch the clip, I'd encourage you to go back. You can see the clip. Uh, and now it's kind of turned the uh, the heavyweight division upside down. Uh, but a lot of people are asking the question, like if he had this record already, thirty three and one, and yeah, Joshua is the champion, so he's still uh, he's still the the favorite. But why is everybody so surprised? And what it goes back to is the image that you have of these two next to each other. You've got uh, Joshua, who's just like I said, he's chiseled. He looks the he's he's central casting for a heavyweight champion, mm. right? And then you got this Ruiz guy, and he looks like he, like I was telling you before, he doesn't look like he could win a bar fight. Mm. Like just physically, if you just look at him, mm. he doesn't look like he could run a lap around a track. Mm. And he came out and he put a beat down on him. And I think what people are having a hard time is, is they're looking at what his image, what he looks like and not being able to get past that and go, oh, wait, yeah, that guy looks kind of different, but man, he could be, he, he's a boxer. Yeah. He's a right. boxer. And it's been interesting just to watch the conversation going on. So what's the takeaway then? Like it's, uh, I don't think that your point is, oh, we shouldn't be quick to judge boxers physiques right like what's the what's the takeaway what's the response if you're if you're someone listening you're like why are they talking about boxing so much like what is for the average person driving or listening to podcasts or doing dishes or mowing the grass what what is kind of the thing behind the thing here yeah i think it has everything to do with 
this concept of we make snap judgments on people based on how they look or based on how they speak or based on, right? Like we put people into boxes. Yeah. Uh, we do that as pastors probably, right? Somebody new comes to your church and you talk to them for a minute and you're like, all right, this is, this person's like this or they're, I don't know, maybe I'm the bad guy that I do that. Maybe you don't do that, but you kind of put people <laughs> in the boxes or you, you, you see somebody's scenario and you go, oh, well, they must be like this. Like mm. we, we have a way uh, as just human beings of putting people in the boxes and saying this is how they are. And I think that's exactly what happened with this boxing match. People said they looked at him and it's a it's a guy who at bat, you know, he's got a big gut. He's not he doesn't he doesn't have these chiseled muscles. He's not that quick when he hits. It's not it's somewhat unorthodox. And they, they looked at him and they said, this guy is going to get beat and quickly. And there are, you know, there are people before the match going, what is Joshua doing here? Like he's like taking a cupcake basically. And like, he's trying to avoid the good boxers. And then he just got beat down. And it's been interesting since then. Ruiz has been pretty upfront with people going like, you don't even know boxing. And you judged me like, like judge me by my resume is what he said to somebody. Mm. Don't judge me by how I look. And that Mm. is important in this scenario but i think that's probably a good one uh across the board like we always see this right you might we did this last week america's got talent or the voice or these any of these shows what is always the number one thing during the year they bring out a person who looks like they're going to be terrible they're kind of frumpy or they're you know they're whatever and all of a sudden they blow everybody away and it's just it, it screams to the way we do this we look at people we put them in a box and then we get surprised when they don't fit into that box so one of the things you said about judge me by my resume i think that could be a really good thing and also a really bad thing mm-hmm. right i think uh even as i was hearing you talk i thought what if what if everyone was required to have their like life resume you know, taped to their back all the time i was talking with my wife the other day how sometimes it really drives me crazy when when people are rude to senior citizens for taking too long in line, I'm like, that guy jumped out of a helicopter, right? <laughs> yes. Like, like she raised seven kids, you know, and sometimes in our, our rush to judge people, even, yeah. you know, um, subconsciously, it's like, we, we only see someone, you know, in their early nineties, not yep. someone who like fought in a war yep. or like battled cancer. But I, it makes me think of, uh, there's a, an old Canon commercial where they brought in six photographers and they had one subject, but they told each photographer, something uh, different about who the subject actually was. None of them were true. So like they told one photographer, he's a millionaire Told another photographer that he's uh, an ex con. And, and then they took, you know, photographs and then they, they kind of hung them up on the wall and it, it looked like six different people. Wow. It was so fascinating to see how these six photographers based on the lie that they were told about who this person actually was informed how they, how they shot them, how they, mm. and so they brought them all together and they had them kind of observing the photographs. And some of them were even saying that doesn't even look like the same guy. Wow. And then they brought him in and said, actually, none of what you, t- what we told you is true. This is who this guy actually is. And it was this like, it was brilliant advertising. And I realized I still, it's there to move a product, Yes, but it showed just how susceptible we are to like make snap judgments about people based on their body size or their skin color or their dialect or the car they drive or the house yep, they live in. Oh, yep. you live in this part of town versus that part of town. And like, there's, I mean, it's one of the things that I enjoy about this show is because, you know, in just a couple of minutes, we don't have all the time to, to dive into the layers of what really is going on there. But the very least to say, what are the ways 
that I'm jumping to snap judgments about other people. Mm. And I think that that is a, uh, that's a really difficult thing to, to be mindful of. I, I read this quote uh, yesterday, actually, by, uh, by Stephen Covey. He said, um, we judge ourselves by our intentions yeah. and others by their behavior. Mm. So I think of this idea that like, yeah, well, I have the best of intentions, so everyone should give me the benefit of the doubt. And so often we, we jump to conclusions about other people. And uh, that, that I think is a very tough pattern to break. But something that's worth being mindful of in ourselves, because I think um, I think without it, man, we just we just kind of end up throwing stones back and forth at each other. Absolutely. It's what we do. We judge, you know, the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover. But that's what we do. And that's what happened in this boxing match. That's right. Well, coming up next, our own Dan Frio posted something on Facebook the other day that I thought was fascinating about the difference between a boss and a leader. And I think you're going to find this list absolutely fascinating. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. I mentioned before the break, uh, our friend Dan Frio. And if you're listening, you're like, where does that name sound familiar? 1160 Mortgage. See, now they're not going to know the website. (laughs) Do it again, sorry. (laughs) I want Dan to get all the business in the world. Oh, do you? I do. Okay. 1160mortgage.com. We talk with him weekly about ways that people can get a better understanding yeah. of their mortgage or maybe getting a better mortgage if you have any credit questions uh, 1160mortgage.com can't encourage you enough he didn't i mean he didn't even ask us to do and any honestly, of that just from those conversations and again uh, i know he advertises here but that's not what this is he just from having those conversations i feel like i'm even learning some stuff i didn't know like okay next time i get a mortgage i'm calling that guy or well and that, anecdotally so. he's just a good he is he's a, a good, good dude and yeah. he he posted something on facebook uh 2 days ago it's an image. It just says the difference between a boss and a leader. So as boss on one side, leader on the other and aligned on the middle. I'm just going to read through all of them. And then I want to kind of get some of your uh, reactions because we've talked, I think even last week that sometimes we typecast, we get mm. this one dimensional version of what a leader's supposed to look like. Yeah. And I think this has, I'd, I'd just be really curious to know some of your thoughts. So uh, it says a boss demands, a leader coaches, a boss relies on authority. A leader relies on goodwill. A boss uh, issues ultimatums, a leader generates enthusiasm. A boss says I, a leader says we. A boss uses people, a leader develops people. A boss takes credit, a leader gives credit. Mm. A boss places the blame, a leader accepts blame. A boss says go, a leader says let's go. A boss says my way is the only way, and a leader says strength in unity. Mm. What do you think? I think it's great. You know, probably like any Facebook. Is this a meme? Facebook meme? Is this going to fall under meme category? I don't know that that matters. Okay. I'm still trying to learn, though, so I have to keep I know, asking. I know. Modest so mouse. I would say, uh, that's a great question. And so I would say that uh, like any Facebook meme, there's probably, this is probably a little too black and white. But you can't really allow for nuance in a two-columned meme. I mean, it's also literally black and white. <laughs> With a line in the middle. <laughs> uh, but, and it's also clearly set up as, obviously, the leader is the preference and the boss. Like, that's not what we want to be. Uh, and so the, what I read there of the leader, that is what I want to be. You and I both lead people. Like, that's what I want to be. I want to develop people and generate enthusiasm and coach people. Um, but what also struck me, and I would love to see if you agree about this like sometimes you got to be the boss Hmm. like i don't know that this is so clearly one or the other or maybe i'm wrong on that but sometimes you know authority is i also thought of this in terms of parenting 
Okay. Like these, these seem like categories of two different ways of parenting as well, which they may or may not be. There might be more nuance to that, but take that first though. Do you think that sometimes when you lead people, you have to lead them like a boss or is it, or is it always, we always want to go on this leader track here. Which of the boss characteristics do you think sometimes are necessary? Probably, uh, Maybe that they're not worded this way, but sometimes being demanding or sometimes with certain people, you do need to use authority at times. Right. Um, I don't I don't want to use the uses people or always takes credit like those are those I don't think are ever necessary. But sometimes uh, I don't know when it says issues, ultimatums, can that can another way of saying that be um, sets deadlines, <laughs> you know, and so. I guess my 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 point is I love the leader one like that's who I want to be someone who coaches and relies on goodwill and generates enthusiasm. Sometimes what I lack is some of the harder edge of the boss things. And mm. I think it's it's hurt me at times. I think I've had people take advantage of my leadership style. How so? Because tell, I, tell could me more probably, about that. I could probably use just a little bit more of the boss in here, right? A but like, bit which more parts? Of this is what I want to get after because I've heard you allude to this a couple yep. of times. Like, oh, I think I I could use a little more of this flavor in my leadership. You mentioned yeah. being taken advantage of. It makes me think of the the Ian Stone story from last week. Like, yeah. hey, you don't have to apologize for having a life. I trust you and your. Yeah. Like, wh- what do you think personally, Brian Fromm, that you're you're missing in terms of? leadership approach i should say that i have missed and it a lot of it depends on the people you're leading i think i've led i've had some people on my staff before um that could you that needed to be handled a lot more uh directly and that when i spoke in terms of team and let's collaborate together and let's do this they kind of took advantage of it hmm. uh and, and there were times where i needed to be able to step in and be like no this is how it's going to be Right now. See, and I don't think that position, though, I don't think saying this is how it's going to be yep. doesn't fit any of these leader categories. I agree. I agree. And so, uh, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes there's a, just I think the leader one on this is like, that's who I want to be. Like, that is right. I just wonder if every now and then there's there's some from this boss list that if you sprinkle them in a little bit, it might be a little helpful. But maybe like, not. like which one? I don't know. Uh, the I think uh, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just reflecting on the things that I don't think that I necessarily have in me. That's what it feels like. And so it's just like the days where you drive the drive the boat here sometimes turns into my counseling session. <laughs> uh, I'm charging you for this, by the way. So, <laughs> get my bill tomorrow. Dan, Dan Frio, Pat. Uh, and so sometimes I just could probably use just a, a little bit, a little dash of authority at times or a little. Well, I think there's a, okay, this is maybe a whole other conversation. I think there is a difference between authoritative and authoritarian. Right? True. I think authoritative still cares about and develops people. I think authoritarian is where you get into the dangers of, of using people to accomplish things and their people are expendable and blah, 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 blah. But I'm looking at all these, like when you talk about being hands-on or a little more direct, I think every one of those leader category column characteristics could still certainly include like some sometimes final decision maker power, like developing people uh, versus using people. I think you can be very direct and set boundaries and set timelines and deadlines. And I don't, I, I think part of the problem is we read some of these like coaches, like you've played sports before, right? A, a co- I think yes. so often in, in leadership context, coach feels so passive, but I'm like, none of the coaches I had were yeah, like, hey, true. run however you want. And run whatever play kick, you kick can. Kick to either yeah, goal. Yeah. Like, 
sometimes in like the leadership world, coach feels so beta male or something. It feels like so yeah. passive, but I'm like, in in actuality, that's not been my experience with any coach I've ever yeah. had. So why do we why do we feel like oh the coaching side is like a little soft leadership and it's yeah. not it's not really as in your face? And I'm like I all the coaches I had were actually very in my face, but it was just how they did it and the relational equity and buy in that we as a team had with them. I think I mean you said it a couple of times. The leader one is the one I want to be in. Yes, I just don't know that I always am. I think that's part of the problem. Most people will look at this list. Because it's a little bit of a straw man setup, right? Like clearly one of these columns is better. Most of us who are to any degree self-aware are going to say, oh, I want to be the leader. But then you actually put us back in our leadership context, whether that's a church or a business or in your home. And we can revert to some of these negative ones. Yeah. I don't think it's enough to just want to be the leader in this category, but to actually make steps towards, okay, what are the ways that I do tend to say I instead of we, or I take credit when I shouldn't, or when I place the blame or when it's my way is the only way. Like even just listing those right now, I can think of a bunch of really embarrassing examples in the last month where I've done all of those things. Like that's not, I don't want to be that, but the goal I think to hold this up and say, all right, I can see how I'm doing this in my own life. And I'm, and I can see that that maybe isn't the most helpful way to go. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, everything you say there is correct. Uh, I think from that, that Ian Sohn thing that we did, by the way, how cool that Ian Sohn, who we discussed his blog post the other day, commented on it on our Twitter. Oh, good name, really good cool. name drop. It really was. I was really excited <laughs> about that this weekend. And so, uh, I think both those leadership conversations you and I had, it's very interesting that my bent, my one fear ends up being, uh, if you're too much of this, you can get taken advantage of. And yeah. that's because I think I have been too much of this and gotten taken advantage yeah, that's of. Right. And which is more says something about more my leadership style than whether these are right or wrong. And so, um, but no, I, I love these. Hey, I'd also encourage everyone to go to Dan Frio on Facebook and that wouldn't be really fun. F R I O. And just, Hey, you want to see this? It's on his site. So just friend him. You'll love him. Let's all, all sorts of people out there. Friend Dan Frio. D A N F R I O or 1160 mortgage. Dot com. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Product placement. All right, man. Coming up next, you're going to love this story. A former sponsored child is now the Archbishop of Kenya's Anglican Church. I, can't, I cannot wait to talk about this story coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And I mentioned uh, just a little bit ago this story. It's actually uh, it's about a year and a half old, but it's from World Vision. And the headline so intrigued me. It says, Former Sponsored Child is Now Archbishop of Kenya's Anglican Church. That's awesome. And I was, I was combing the story to like kind of just give you some of the bulleted items, but it's so good. Uh, if you'll let me, I just want to read some of it. Is that all right? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to do it anyway. So uh, (laughs) here we go. It says uh, to understand this remarkable story. First, you need to know a little bit about the Maasai. For centuries, the Maasai traveled with their cattle along the Great Rift Valley in Kenya and Tanzania. Uh, Nope. Tanzania. 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 Yeah. Families were polygamous. No, that's Tanzania. That's Tanzania. What did I say? Tanzania. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we begin again? No. (laughs) Uh, Families were polygamous. Men had many wives and kids. Children rarely went to school, instead helping their parents take care of animals and doing chores around the house. This is the world into which Jackson Ole Sapete, 53, was born with one father and 11 mothers. He's not sure how many siblings he has, but guesses more than 50. Jackson's father died when he was young. 
and his mother, his father's seventh wife, and her three children were chased away from the family home uh, by shrewd older brothers who understood the value of land. Jackson's mother and her children became destitute. Masai parents uh, didn't believe in education as boys were to herd cows and girls worked around the house. But in 1973, Jackson and the other Masai boys in his village were forced to attend. There he began to hear about Jesus. Hmm. One of the songs they sang, he said, was more about Jesus. But he thought they were singing moo instead of more. And he said, I wondered, are they singing about cows? (laughs) This was something that he could relate to as a herder and his curiosity was piqued. Um, The next year, Jackson became... Sponsored through World Vision. Through sponsorship, Jackson received his first pair of shoes along with shoe polish to keep them shiny. He loved the smell of the polish so much that he slept with it. He received all the benefits of sponsorship, including medical checkups. And then World Vision saved his family's life. And I want you to hear straight from his mouth a little bit of what he has to say about that. If my sponsor was to walk today through this door, I really don't know how I'm going to react. Probably tears will be shedding. I'll request politely for a hug. And you know that was the opening point that enabled me now to become the person I am today as a bishop of the Anglican Church of Kenya, making an impact in other people's lives. It would not have been possible mm. if it were not for that person and family and forever. I'm grateful to them. I mean, how incredible is that story? It's crazy. And, the, you know, uh, I think like at our church, we do a lot of child sponsorship stuff through Africa New Life in Rwanda. And you you tell the stories of, you know, we've even brought kids over who who went through the Rwandan school system being being supported. And then they are in America going to college. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, when you actually see the flesh and bone results of this kind of uh, giving by people, uh, you know, and in this one, I mean, you've got a kid that was not going to make it. I mean, that might be overdramatic, but like his life was going in one way. World Vision steps in. Somebody clearly sponsors him, and now he's the Archbishop of Kenyan's Anglican Church. Yeah. Like, what a great testimony to the power of not just generosity, but, like, you know, the fruit of of the work of people like World Vision and Africa New Life or Food for the Poor, Cross International, people that we deal with here. It's just a crazy, it's just a heartwarming and unbelievable story. So what, what, do, we, what do we do with this here and now in Chicagoland? Like, it's one thing to say... Like, honestly, we, you know, we were just uh, we were talking for the last couple of weeks about food for the poor and yeah. like quite literally saving families in Haiti. And as best I can tell, you can still give. Like, we would yep. still, I mean, you can go to the website right now. The image is right they there. They don't stop right? taking the they, money. Exactly. No. But I, like, I love partnering with organizations like that because it's like, oh, man, it's so easy to go throughout your day, your week, your month without ever without ever thinking like the, the massive need globally. But what what this story does for me is. So often when we see, you know, commercials or whatever, it's like, oh, you're, you're saving this child, this six-year-old. Yeah. What we don't often think about is like that six-year-old might become an archbishop of Kenya. Like yeah. there, you know what I mean? There, there is something about this, this, this gift of seeing human potential in others that shouldn't just happen when it comes to sponsorship, right? Nope. Like when we talk about, you know, the, the person begging on the corner that yep. we've made up our minds about, right? We were talking a little bit earlier about kind of judging a book by its cover. What, what if we... What would that change in our daily interactions if we actually saw people with the deep sacred Imago Dei, mm. the sacred humanity that they have, but also like, wow, this person might actually, what if they, you know, what if they grow up to become this or they develop to become that? And I think it's it's why I think we have so much fun, like looking at celebrities' photos before they were famous yeah. or, but you know, we kind of like laugh at like, who would have ever guessed? And like, but that's how all these stories are. Anyone who's famous now has a goofy past and yeah. they were an uncomfortable junior hire. And yet we still keep, 
making fun of junior hires. Like that might be the next whatever. Yeah. Like why why is this lesson so hard for us to learn? Like hey, we need to care for people wherever we're at, not just because they they could grow up to become this, but because every person matters. Yeah, yeah. It's it reminds me. Uh, a month or two ago, I took my daughter, my oldest daughter, Madeline, to go see. Uh, we went to South Bend, Indiana to see Les Mis. Yeah. Because it was traveling. I love that musical, by the way. And uh, one of the beginning scenes of Les Mis, right, is when, I don't know, is he a priest or a bishop? I forget exactly what he was. But when uh, when Jean Valjean steals the, the silver right. from the guy's house. And if the guy, like, just confirms that, yeah, he stole it, they would have... Uh, he John Valjean would have been in prison for the rest of his life. Right. Right. And instead he said, oh, I have more for him. And he made it seem like he was giving all of it to him. And he basically told John Valjean, like, go live up to this gift. Like, this is what it in some ways, how we're supposed to live our Christian lives, live up in in, in light of the grace that uh, that we have been shown by Jesus in our own lives. And man, it's a great reminder, like. You know, just by supporting a six-year-old, you're you're 100 percent right. You might not just be saving a six-year-old, but you might be you might be empowering and saving the person who is going to ultimately like change the the, the country or change whatever or invent something. Who knows what they're going to do? And, and that's a crazy reminder. Like this person who sponsored this boy way back when wasn't like, well, can't wait till he becomes the Archbishop of Kenya of the Anglican Church, right? Yeah, right. But instead, did it out of the goodness of their heart and and to to do even their small part in bringing about some change, and then it it, it blossomed into this. So you're right to link it to our earlier conversation about not judging a book by its cover, and you know it's it's yeah the importance of uh, of kind of reaching down, and I don't mean down to people less than you, but people who have less than you who. Uh, th- that kind of a hand down to to bring somebody else up. You have no idea what that might do. And that could be financial and it could be supporting kid in Africa. It could be the guy in the corner that you're talking about, or it could be the kid that gets picked on at school. You know, it could be any of those, but when we empower other people and support other people, we don't know what God's going to do with that gift in that person's life. And I, I do think we, we need to be really careful though. And, and you touched on a little bit, about the words that we use, even reaching down. Sure. That's why I, I tried I, to preface it. Yep. I think that that, I think we got to be, cause there is a, and there's a, a great book called toxic charity that actually kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the ways that we, with the best of intentions do things that actually sometimes are, are much more hurtful sure. or perpetuate systems of exploitation. And, and even thinking about as a culture, how we, you know, I think of the movie blindside, right? Like we create mm. movies where, Oh, because this person became something great, it makes this initial like, that can there is a there's a subtle danger there though that if we ever only start loving people because of what they could become, even if like w- would we care for this person even if they never get clean, right? Even if they never get employed, it, mm-hmm. like does the call to love others still stand even if we never quote unquote see the payout? You know, like I think those the, that's some of the dangers for me in seeing. And I think this story is fantastic and it does kind of highlight a lot of like what we don't know about what people, what God is doing in anyone's life. But there always is like a flip to that for me, like to be mindful that there, there never is this sense of superiority. Like, Hey, let me in all my wealth and blessing, Mm -hmm. like step in and kind of save you here. Like just say, Hey, we're, there's this brokenness that we all share. And I believe that you bear the image of a creative God that loves you and sees you. And I think to keep that in the forefront without creating any kind of, you know, hi- hierarchy of service is, is so important, but like so, so difficult to do. Yeah, that's why it's good to link with places like World Vision or African New Life or other play Cross International or Food for the Poor. 
it's good to link with these and uh, yeah, do what you can. So coming up next, here's uh, what I want to talk about. Disney is reconsidering filming in Georgia over the fetal heartbeat abortion law that we've been talking so much about. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Welcome back to The Common Good. And you going Southern again on me? I mean... It felt like you went Southern accent again. You can answer that for yourself, I think. <laughs> did, did I go Southern? <laughs> it did. It seemed like you. Know, I thought. Yeah, I thought that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, did I go southern? Did I look up and you're staring at me? Yeah, because yeah, that's how questions work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not staring. I'm just looking at you. Did I? Uh, and then you just stared at his computer. My friend is how questions work. I'm reading mm. for this thing. <laughs> that's really funny. I'm so I can see the reflection in the glass. I know that you're just looking at Facebook. But nah, I can, I can tell. I can tell. Although, uh, if I was, I would be looking at people's comments where they can talk to us at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> Is there other places they can go to learn about our show? There are. They can uh, go to 1160hope.com and find old shows there. Sure. They can go to wherever they get their podcasts, right? Google Play. Uh, what's another one? Yeah, I'm going to wonder how many you can actually yeah, list off the top of your There's lots of different dome. platforms like for what else? podcasts. What I'm else? not sure. Google Play is one of them. Probably <laughs> Apple something. Apple something? And Apple Play. Nope, that's Google Play. Apple. <laughs> Whichever, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Granny Smith Apples. And uh, you, there, you can subscribe. You can rate, review, <laughs> subscribe again. Keep doing it. Uh, tell your friends. And uh, that helps us. And then you can also text us. At 68683, that's 68683, type in CG, followed by your comment. Boom, I got them all. I think people would be shocked to know that we don't rehearse these intros. <laughs> it's like such a well-oiled machine, you and I. <laughs> people are like, they must write these down ahead oh of time. Oh my gosh, do they, re- they rehearse these all, all evening? Yes, It's no. like a beautiful dance. It all is. Right, so I, I mentioned earlier that Disney is reconsidering filming in Georgia over this fetal heartbeat abortion law. That's right. And um, so many emotions around this conversation for a a lot of reasons. I think a lot of them are certainly valid. But why don't you first just let us know what's going on here, and then we'll get into the weeds. Yep. Disney's co-chief executive shared on Wednesday that the company may consider cutting ties with Georgia. I'm reading from Christian Headlines here. If the state's new heartbeat abortion law goes into effect. According to Reuters, uh, Bob Iger... Uh, the chief, co-chief executive told the outlet that it would be, quote, very difficult for the company to continue to film productions in Georgia, which is a big deal. A lot of people I've learned right. uh, film in the Atlanta area. Uh, if the state's new law banning abortions after a fetal heartbeat can be detected does indeed become law. He told Reuters, I rather doubt we will continue production in Georgia if the law is upheld. Wow. He noted that several people currently working on projects in Georgia have voiced that they will refuse to work in the state. Iger said, I think many people who work for us will not want to work there and we will have to heed their wishes in that regard. Right now, we're watching it very carefully. He added, I don't see how it's practical for us to continue to shoot there. Netflix has already taken a stance on the abortion issue. Netflix announced on Tuesday that they would, quote, rethink its production investments in Georgia if the law goes into effect. And so it's this uh, strange, um, you know, on the one hand, 
Uh, let me tell you all that I got on my mind on this one. <laughs> then you can react. On the one hand, Disney, Netflix, they are, you know, I wasn't a business major, but they're privately owned companies. You know, they're public, but uh, they're not government entities. Uh, and so they can pick and choose where they shoot, just as the people in Georgia can say, we're going to boycott Disney. Like, there's, sure. that there is a way, you know, if the people who run Disney feel strongly enough about it, I suppose that they can put their money where their mouth is and say, you know what, we're going to go find somewhere else to go. You know, you and I have done this show, though, enough to know that for some reason, as I get older and the more we do this show, the higher my anger frustration gets about hypocrisy. Yeah, it's just this concept of like grandstanding where the rest of your um, the rest of your uh, resume, if you will, doesn't doesn't match, doesn't reflect, Mm. for instance, uh, Disney does things in countries in the Middle East where the penalty for things like abortion and homosexuality is a lot worse than what we're discussing here in Georgia. Hmm. But they're not talking about pulling out of there. Disney does a lot of work in China. China at the uh, a communist country uh, whose laws and punishments are uh, exponentially more archaic than what we're talking about here in Georgia. And hmm. for that reason, this doesn't feel like they're saying, well, we don't think that's fair. And this is about our beliefs. And so we're pulling out. It feels like they are trying to influence legislation and they're trying to influence public opinion. And by putting pressure that Georgia won't sign this bill. And again, that's within their rights to do as hmm. a private company. It's just bothersome. Just own your hypocrisy every now and then and be like, you know what? We know we can't change the country of China, so we're just going to keep doing this. But we think we can have an effect in Georgia by pulling out or in Alabama or wherever Hmm. else. Uh, And also, I just don't like necessarily the culture of boycotts, but I understand that they can be powerful. But like, I'm not going to watch this because they believe this and I'm not going to do that. It just when does it ever end? So that's kind of my myriad of thoughts. We would love to hear from you at our Facebook page. Love to hear your thoughts. But um, what do you think? (laughs) What What are your reflections upon this? Uh you know where I went first? Maybe not first. Where I went top three is mm. thinking about the Disney employees in Georgia. Uh-huh. We're like, hey, you're making this. Let's say, let's just say it's a it's a political move. Let's yep. just say it is. Which it is. is. But go ahead. It sounds like <laughs> to some degree, there's no way that it's not. Yep. Um, I'm not saying it's only that, but let's say it is. What about the the people who work in sets and costumes in Georgia that can't? just fly off to another filming location like this is this is their livelihood and to, to make this political statement does affect i th- i think thousands of jobs one would have to think and again i don't you know we're coming at it with a with a specific christian bent here you and i can't really get away from that nor do i think we should nor do i want to mm-hmm. um but i yeah i do i struggle a little bit with some of the uh there's a lot of grandstanding but there's also a lot of virtue signaling going on mm-hmm. more now than it seems like ever and maybe that's with the rise of just how much access we have to information but like you know it's not nearly the same but when i think of um you know when i think of dicaprio talking about climate change and then hopping on another you yep. know one of his <laughs> private cruise it's liners hypocrisy man I'm like man i would i would so much more respect the sentiment if you're like yeah and i sold all of my like gas guzzling uh devices and i'd you know now I drive a Tesla. Yeah. You can afford a Tesla. You're like, oh, man, way to go, DiCaprio. Put your money where your mouth is, which I guess I'm kind of saying both things, actually, because Disney does have the right you're saying yeah. to do whatever they want with their money if they disagree with the decision. But like to think about 
the company as a whole, the organization as, the, as a whole, and all the people it affects. Um, that's that's a complicated discussion, and it's just crazy. I'm reading here that. Uh, you know, Disney has filmed movies in the Middle Eastern countries with stricter abortion laws than the Georgia bill. Disney recently filmed movies in Jordan and the United Arab Emirates. And then you start getting into China. They built a five. Disney opened a five point five billion dollar resort in Shanghai in 2016. And Iger himself called it Disney's greatest opportunity since buying land in Florida. And then you start reading what the government's doing in China. Uh, well, where's the virtue? Where's the the outrage from Bob Iger and others? Again, he, he runs the company, the shareholders. If they all agree, they can do this. So neither of us are being like they shouldn't be allowed to do this. Right. I think it's just another it's another opportunity for us to go, man, everything's political. And when everything <laughs> gets political, it all feels hypocritical. It just all feels hypocritical. Like we're going to. Mm. OK, not all. Sorry. We're, we're radio <laughs> guys. You don't have to apologize we're to me. Ra- I'm just no, trying when, to- I, when I saw your face, I saw where it was going and I knew that I was wrong on that one. Uh, it is oftentimes hypocritical or self-serving. And so, yeah, I would just wish they would own it and be like, you know what? We really I really disagree or we as a company really disagree with this law. And we think we can bring about change with this law by pulling our money out. So you're saying it would it would hit you differently if they were at least consistent, even if you like passionately disagreed with their conclusion. Like, oh, at least you're consistent with that conclusion. Yeah, I think so. That's your big issue. Well, I just think that they're wrong anyway. But anyway, I I, I can disagree with Bob Iger. I can disagree with the shareholders of Disney. Right. It's right. still their decision. I just wish they would be consistent with their decision. And I wish that across the board for the left leaning Disney, for the right leaning whatever. Like I this isn't a, a left or right thing for me. I just I value consistency in people. Even people I disagree with, when I hear him them being consistent and allowing their belief system to permeate every aspect of their lives, then I at least have respect with them for them within my disagreement. Disney just feels like they're talking out of well, China's good for our bottom line, so we're gonna go there. Mm. We can't make any change in, in the United Arab Emirates, we're still gonna go there. But Georgia, maybe we can make up, maybe we can throw our weight around a little bit. Right. So we're going to go there. Well, just own it and tell us that's what you're doing. Does that sentiment have a, a ceiling for you, though? Like the I, I completely get what you're saying. Like, hey, just be consistent. But what if the person's ideology is just straight up awful? You're like, well, at least you're consistently awful. At least <laughs> yes. at least you murder people of gotcha. all races or of all, like I. I'm and I got obviously that's a that's an extreme you know, example, but no, is there kidding. is there is there a limit though to your okayness with someone's consistency? Like where what's the tipping point between consistency and ethic for you? Do you oh, think? Oh, that's a that's a great question that I don't have a good answer for now. So obviously there is. Oh, for sure there obviously is. I don't know exactly how to define it, but this feels like one where if they would just be consistent. And then let people make their decisions like, you know what? I disagree with Disney, so I'm not going to give any of my money to it. You know, you can go back and forth with this. Um, it just feels like you use a good word of virtue signaling and kind of grandstanding. That's just all that this feels like it is. Yeah, I totally get that. It's unfortunate. And but people it's just are, kinda... Like you said, people, are, there's going to be innocent people caught in it. Yeah. And it's, you know, Netflix, Disney. It's, it, it's all a little crazy. Well, coming up next, a, uh, a heartbreaking story that I'm I'm assuming most people are at least to some degree aware of uh, new details emerged in the Virginia beach mass shooting that left 12 people dead. Uh, Brian and I are going to talk about that, but we're also just going to honestly grieve a bit as well and hopefully create some space for dialogue. That's what's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. Welcome. 
Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And I would mentioned just a little while ago that there are now 12 people dead in the Virginia Beach uh, mass shooting. And it's it's hard. I, it's I don't And I've listened to interviews of people who lost friends, lost family. And and not, I don't know how you deal with some of the stuff. Sometimes like I'll kind of go down a rabbit trail and I'm and I'm reading remarks and I'm listening to interviews and I'm and I'm. I'm even to the point where I'm like watching people's faces and just trying to really put myself in their shoes. And I I don't know that I can, to be honest. And I read uh, somewhere, I think it was on CNN. And one of the lines just kind of caught me off guard. It was like, oh, this is the deadliest mass shooting since November. And I said, we're measuring in months now. Yeah. Like there's something about that wasn't even the point of the article. But I thought since November, November, like something about that sentiment, that statement. Uh, kind of shook me, and it wasn't because it was like I, I couldn't believe it because I actually could believe it. When it said since since November, my initial thought almost was, yeah, that sounds about right, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what shook me. That when I read it, it felt normal to me. Yep, like oh yeah, wow, t- since November that that seems about the length of time that it's been. Yeah, rather than like you know where even as a kid, like I don't feel like I was reading story. And again, we could get into the weeds of. Uh, gun injuries and gun deaths per year, per capita, per region, all those things I think are really important and worth doing your research about. But I, I don't know. There's there's something about reading things like that that makes me wonder, like, one, are we becoming desensitized? Two, is this problem getting worse or better? And three, what what is the what is the Christ followers response? Because I, yeah. I don't really honestly want to get into the weeds of uh, this specific story because yep. it's it's anywhere that you can find news. Like you can go and Google it right now and get updated. Maybe you didn't. We'll have it on our Facebook page right, for sure. Right, and maybe you didn't know about this. Like <clears throat> I can, I encourage you to go go learn about it. But what do we what do we do in light of that? Yeah, I'm like you in the sense of you become somewhat desensitized to these. Like I think you and I talked about it not too long ago. But I remember I was talking to my wife recently after one of the school shootings, which again is a problem. That one, one of, of the one school, of school shootings, shootings, right? Um where we were remembering back to Columbine, which was kind of the first one, right? 98. We were in Mm -hmm. college at the time. And it was like a two day event of watching news coverage of that one. Like that was so something completely new. Like I remember it almost being uh, a pre like it was uh, until nine 11. I didn't remember anything else that had that sort of wall to wall coverage. Right. And so as we as a nation uh, have become somewhat used to these, you, mm. you can measure that in the amount of time and space in which we think about it. Columbine was 13 killed. Virginia Beach was 12. Right. Like, I right. mean, that is somewhat telling. And so um, that was one just kind of the desensitivity that I feel towards these things now. And you and I have talked about these things like sometimes for me, I can get too quickly into out of sight, out of mind. Like, you know, it. It's hard that this happened, but it's easy for me to kind of move on with my day. Whereas you sometimes struggle with the opposite, like just kind of wallowing in it a little bit or sitting in it for too long. And um, and so that's hard. But you know what? I, as I've read the articles, knowing we were going to talk about this, what has really struck me is we we like to think that we can kind of caricature the people who do this. Like, well, it's it's a kind of a lone wolf person or it's kind of the outcast or it's the bullied person or it's the guy who just got like, I actually read that this guy, uh, Dwayne Craddock who did this uh, had just quit his job or just lost his job at the at the at the municipal center, the municipal building. And so obviously you start making the connections. 
Guy got fired, old disgruntled guy, went back, not old disgruntled employee story, goes back, shoots him. Like, we've seen this story before. And then you start reading the articles, and this guy was, he was a good employee. Uh, he resigned on Friday, but was not fired. In fact, they said he was an employee mm. in good standing. Mm. Uh, there was no um, prior, there was nobody who was like, yeah, well, we could kind of see that he was kind of off the reservation. His family shocked his coworkers are like he was a good guy. He was the guy that brought candy to the administrators at Christmas. Like, you're, there's not the telltale signs in these, and that's where it becomes somewhat crazy a little bit. Like, well, then this is the unanswerable question. But then, what what caused him to do this? Yeah, like what right. caused him to do this? And those were where I start to wrestle. Like, okay, this isn't like this doesn't have all the telltale signs that we know, and that's where it becomes hard. And you asked. What's our takeaway? One of the takeaways for me, again, becomes the fragility of life and the the fact that you can't explain this. Like, mm. you can't go, well, you know what? Yeah, he bought a gun here. He threatened people here. He lost his job here. He came back and started shooting specific people. They used the article that I read here uses the words he began firing indiscriminately. Yeah, that's all of this is completely unnerving. And yeah. so. You asked, what's our response as the Christ follower? It's it's sadness. It's lament. It's uh, it's a realization of the brokenness of this world, the fragility of this life. Uh, and then it's a stepping into that. And and after doing all that, being able to step into a little bit with some hope to um, to all of us who struggle with just the randomness of this. OK, so I'm going to respond to that in a second, but yep. I want to I want to just give some statistics um, to help frame the larger conversation of what we're talking about, not just here at Virginia Beach. Uh, every day, 100 Americans are killed with guns. Mm. Every single day. Um, the average deaths per year uh, is 36,383. Wow. More than 22,000 of those are suicides, by the way. So mm. that's what, two-thirds? That's hard. Um, average injuries per year, over 100,000 people. Um, hmm. and we can get into, I think, you know, the, the access stuff, one third of gun deaths are homicide. The U S gun homicide rate is 25 times that of other high income countries. Wow. Um, three quarters of non-fatal gun injuries are caused by assaults. Black males are 15 times more likely than white males to be shot and injured in assaults involving guns. Hmm. One million, nearly 1 million women alive today have been shot. Uh, or shot at by an intimate partner. Uh, 58% of American adults or someone they care for have experienced gun violence in their lifetime. 58% of American adults. Wow. Um, that's crazy. Approximately 3 million American children witness gun violence every single year. Um, and again, that those are obviously, the, there's nuance to everything that I just read. At the very least, though, does that not, communicate to some degree that there's an issue absolutely that there's a problem yeah like can we at least start there i'm not even i'm not even i'm talk. i'm not going to talk right now at least i probably will eventually uh about the nra or about uh gun restrictions or background checks or uh, any like can we at least all stop screaming for long enough to say that okay this has to change yep you know and i do think particularly for grieving families and this might be a little on the nose I think they're tired of hearing the Christian majority just simply say our thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I would be. Absolutely. I would put it this way. That, and I've told you before, I didn't grow up in a culture of guns. I'm not a, literally I've literally never shot a gun. And like I shot a shotgun once. Really? And so I do underst- I understand that there are gun cultures. I don't necessarily understand the gun culture. Okay. I think that's my difference. Sure. Uh, so that's just kind of background of myself. But, you know, we've spent a lot in the last month talking about what it means to be pro-life. And if guns are a big way that life is being taken within our culture, then at least we have to say to be pro-life is to try to have a conversation about how do we make that better? How do we rectify that? I'm not saying it's get rid of all guns. I'm not saying I don't know the answer. I think you and I that we would both agree that's above our pay grade. Uh, but the fact that we don't seem to want to have that conversation culturally is is problematic. Well, and it's it's not that we don't want to at times we seem incapable of doing it it's a good point like i think because it's obviously such a heated discussion and i don't know that either side does a good job uh at stepping down from the echo chambers right and sometimes it's like well if it fits on a sign or if it fits in a tweet that's my whole position um i think that can be really problematic but i think (laughs) I think there needs to be there needs to be more than than memes and internet fights though. And Absolutely. I and I just don't know it's a part of a bigger conversation. And you and I, you know, we're not politicians and we're not uh, in any position to pass legislation, but like you mentioned and I'd love in the last minute that we have left, you talked about stepping into hope, right? Mm-hmm. Which I like the sentiment. Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean? Like how how do we yeah, pray and grieve and you know, we're always yeah. talking about that. What does stepping into hope in the midst of something like this actually look like? Yeah, and it I think it's in the people who are struggling around us. We, we, again, we're not in Virginia Beach, so I'm not talking even talking about there. But uh, those people who are rattled by the brokenness and the uncertainty of this world, it is being able to acknowledge that what they're feeling is true and accurate. But then we've got uh, this. The gospel is good news towards that. And so not coming in and being like, oh, everything's fine because Jesus is here. Right. But being able to explain, like, here's here's why faith in Jesus makes a difference. Here's why it makes a difference. And and being able to talk in light of these current events. I think that's one thing you and I are enjoying about this show is that we're able to speak to current events and hopefully bring the light of the gospel to them, but try to wrestle with how is that best done? Yeah. And so I don't think it's going I, to Virginia Beach and getting on the corner and being like, everything's fine because of Jesus. But I think it obviously. is being it is the church being able to express in a in a helpful way uh, how the good news of Jesus Christ affects and makes a difference in situations like this. Yeah. And, and honestly, maybe taking an honest look at um, how much we value our rights in light of what we're seeing happen in our country mm-hmm. and, and maybe really doing the hard business of saying, yeah, I really, really feel strongly about this. And I don't even know that I'm justified in it, but acknowledging there's a disconnect here and, uh, and something, something, yep. something has to change our, our thoughts, prayers and hearts go out to the victims and the families. Mm-hmm. And also I hope what you're hearing is Brian and I are, are committed to, to also hopefully making some kind of difference in whatever way that we can with our lives. Absolutely. We're coming up next. I think we need to uh, come up for air just a little bit. So we're <laughs> going to talk about uh, what did you preach yesterday? Monday is sort of the day where pastors try to recover from the day before. So we're going to talk just a little bit about uh, what happened at our church, what we preached about, and uh, maybe some snafus along the way. That's coming up next on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also just type it into Google. 
Right? That's all That's all we're doing anyway. Just type it into the Common Good Radio Show. That's all we're doing anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, anytime people, like artists or something, they're like, oh, here's my uh, band website. Like, we're just typing your band name into Google. That's a true statement. That's what all of us are doing. We're not remembering if it's .com or .org or .ed. I mean, maybe we are. Maybe, maybe I'm showing my age. Just mm. Google. Google for everything. So one of the things that we do uh, on occasion on Mondays is talk about what we preached, which is kind of fun following the fact because, uh, you know, sometimes we'll talk about, oh, what are you preaching this coming Sunday? Right. And uh, I'm it's I like that we do this because it is a little uh, it is a little therapeutic, not just to talk about like the nuts and bolts of here's what I said. But it also each time we do this, it feels like, oh, here's kind of what I feel like resonated. Here's what yeah. kind of caught me off guard. Here was the piece that I really liked. So I'd, I'd love to know at four corners community church. Yes. How'd it go? Uh, it was really fun day yesterday because uh, I don't know if you guys changed at all your summer schedule, uh, but yesterday was our first day where we go, we go uh, in the summertime. We just started this last year. Uh, we go from two services down to one. Oh, really? And so we add five services. There actually, you go. That's what we do. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, for that big Fourth of July push, right? Like Fourth of July Eve service, and <laughs> so July Eve, <laughs> and so it's just a really full room, and that makes it really fun. You know how it is. You wake up in the summertime, and you're like, "Is anyone going to be at church today?" And like, uh, it, it makes for a really full room. So that was fun. And literally, even though we only have two services, there are people who are like, "I don't know these people who go to the other service," and so it becomes a summer yeah. of all being together. It's got its problems, you know, children's ministry. Uh, like in one of a relatively small preschool classroom yesterday, we had like 23 preschoolers. <laughs> oh man, so that's a lot. It does have its, uh, its struggles, but so a couple things yesterday, one, and this is really good news. I was able to, uh, introduce and announce that we hired a, uh, a kind of an associate pastor. Kind, that, kind of an associate pastor? He is yeah. an associate pastor. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so I want to make sure I understood. Super thrilled about that. His name is Scott Murray starting tomorrow and, uh, a real, God's timing has really been great in this one. So that's awesome. Uh, I believe that until maybe you hear like six months from now that it all unraveled between us. But no, I'm excited. It's super <laughs> oh, excited. No. Super excited. <laughs> and I've told you that Scott's wife, uh, Katie, even listens to our show on occasion. Yeah, hi, so, Katie. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, part of Scott's job description is he will listen daily from four until six. So <laughs> yes, you, you can do that now, right? Yeah. And so it was great. Like it was great energy. The church was all excited. And, and you know, I, I feel like it's going to be a great summer together. Uh, I preached yesterday on uh, the last of the, uh, the I am statements that we're doing in the book of John. Uh, so we came out of Easter. The last one is I am a baller, right? Isn't that <laughs> the last I am of Jesus? He just says I am and mic drops. <laughs> uh, I am so, out. <laughs> Ah, that's awesome. I am out. I think that's the message translation, right? <laughs> that's really funny. I might use that one. <laughs> and so uh, the last one we covered was uh, near the end of his life when Jesus says famously, I'm the re- uh, that resurrection life was two weeks ago when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Mm. And uh, I, there was some stuff from it that I never really picked up before. And that was that Jesus he prefaces this statement by talking about where he's going. Right. right. And he prefaces that by telling the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right. And I talked a lot about how, 
you know, this command not to let your hearts be troubled, a lot of us, if not given a good reason for not letting our hearts be troubled, that could be troubling. Yeah, right. And so what is, <laughs> G- and these disciples are about to have a reason to be troubled. Uh-huh. He's about to die. He's about to leave. Like, they're going to be troubled. It's like someone starting a conversation now. Don't freak out. Exactly. Like, well, now I'm freaked out. Exactly. So Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he points them to eternity where he's going, yeah. that there's more. It's what we just talked about a little more somberly, but in the last segment a little bit. Uh, and I talked a lot about this whole concept of home, our longing to be home mm. and that our home isn't here, but that we, you know, even in John 17, he or says, you it? are, you are not uh, exactly, but Jesus <laughs> says, you're not of this world, uh, but I'm sending you into the world. Mm. Uh, you will know, have a discussion about heaven one day. That'll be fun. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we Shoot. need to get somebody in, somebody who knows more than us. <laughs> Uh, and then Thomas says, I don't, we don't even know where you're talking about. We don't know. How would we ever know how to get there? And it's to that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so, uh, unpacking that a little bit. And I, I, I thought it was, it encouraged my soul, which usually means it isn't going to encourage those who are listening. I don't know if you feel that way when you preach, like if you feel convicted, it's probably going to be convicting to people. If you feel, I know sometimes we've talked about, we feel like we've laid a complete egg and it turns out to be great, but right. Uh, so it was great. It was a great day to all be together. And uh, yeah, I love being a pastor, man. I love preaching. <laughs> I love our church. And uh, it was good. Uh, so how about yours? Yours, uh, you guys tackled a heavy one. <laughs> yeah. I saw it online. And then you you showed it a little bit to me when we got in today. And I was like, man, diving, been, diving been pitching, all in. I've been pitching this series for three years. And right. uh, and we and we took the risks. So the, the series is called God Behaving Badly. That's enough already. Based on a book by David T. Lamb called God Behaving Badly. Okay. And his, sub, his subtitle was, uh, Is the God of the Old Testament Angry, Sexist, and Racist? So... We're tackling these. You got up there, you tapped the mic, and you were like, <laughs> yes. <No. laughs> I might have made that joke in one of them. Well, nice. So we started off talking about some of these just bizarre passages. Like, if we're really honest, we open them and we go, why is that in there? Yep. Like, there's a passage in Exodus that says, uh, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, cool. But <laughs> I'll ask why? at the restaurant. I right, to. right. But so, we, so the question that we were tackling this week was, is God legalistic or gracious? And we talked about here's some of the reasons people find God to be so legalistic. That's how they understand him to be because of what we read or because of what we see from other Christians. But if you go to the very beginning of the story, I mean, God tells Adam and Eve, uh, be fruitful and eat from any tree in the garden, which I said, translation is have a lot of sex and eat a lot of food like that. Mm. That doesn't sound like legalism. That sounds like like absolute breathtaking generosity. Yes. And, and I we, must made and a spring we, break joke, but it would have been inappropriate. <laughs> I, I appreciate you <laughs> saying that, but not saying it. But uh, yes, yeah, so we walked through some of the ways that we, you know, tend to see legalism and, you know, Gandhi kind of famously said, I, I like your Christ. I don't think I like your Christians. Mm-hmm. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ, which is not true across the board, but I, I kind of got what he was getting at. And for Paul to say, in Romans that Christ is the end of the law, right? Jesus is the sum and substance Mm -hmm. of all of God's law and promises that if we want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If we want to know what breaks God's heart, look at Jesus. And one of the things that, that uh, I thought had a, had a pretty good response is I, I reframed the 10 commandments and we asked, what if we, rather than seeing them as a list of do's and don'ts, what if we saw them as imagine ifs? So like when, the Ten Commandments says, thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven images. What if it's God saying, imagine if you had an intimate relationship with me and only me, the one true God. No more idols and all the things that go with that, but a living relationship with the one who made all of this. Mm. What if when we read, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, 
We read that as, imagine if you lived in a way where true rest was possible, or rather than run ragged, you enjoyed a stillness of heart and mind. What if, when we read, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, we read, imagine if you lived with no need to tear people down with your words or actions. Like, mm. just kind of framing in a different way. Like, these these laws aren't to squash or fun or rain yeah. our parade. They're yeah. like these these bumpers given to Israel for their flourishing, for their mm. growth, and and the fact that we see one set of laws when they're wandering, but then a different set of laws when they're in the promised land. Like, yeah. it, it's recognizing their growth. And so often, you know, like the Pharisees, there's a law to keep the Sabbath, for example, the Pharisees add like 39 additional right, Sabbath laws, right. probably with good intentions, but to the point where it was like, in some traditions, you couldn't even spit on the Sabbath because mm. spit into dirt would make mud and mud is how you make bricks. And with bricks, you build things and building is work. <laughs> That's awful. Legitimately. So like, it's like, we don't want to get anywhere close to breaking yeah, that law, yeah. but Jesus withholds his harshest criticisms for the legalistic religious elite, yeah. right? Like you guys are missing, you're, he says you're tying a weight around people's necks and you're not even one to lift a finger. He's like, you're, you're focusing on the letter of the law and you're missing the spirit of the law. Yeah. So we kind of asked like, man, what would it look like not to work for God's approval, but to work from it? To not work for his affection, mm-hmm. but to work from it, to know that in Jesus, we're already like totally completely loved. And yeah. then from that reality, that's why we obey, not to try to get him to like us yeah, more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a, it was actually really, it was just a, it was a, it was a really cool Sunday overall, but it felt like, I don't know, you know, the Sundays where it feels like, oh, I think stuff's clicking yep, now. Like yep. it's kind of a game changer of a content. And uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. I love, I love preaching more than I ever thought I would love yep. doing anything. Yep. And, uh, and I just love our church and I feel like they were, they were really encouraging, but also like really honest about stuff that they were working through. And uh, I'm That's really, awesome. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, like sometimes you preach a sermon and you can feel it landing really well. And I feel like you were saying you did. I felt like I, did, I had that experience yesterday. And that's just when like it all kind of pays off, right? All the work during the week and all that. And you're seeing like God using your words to kind of encourage or challenge or right. help shape or help make people ask hard questions. Like that's, that's man, that's, that is like the, the payoff for, hmm. for what we get to do. So uh, coming up next, one of the things that we do every single day is we end the show with just some insanity we found online. I'm sure you'll be shocked to know that we found more insanity. Yep. We do every single day. There's never a shortage. We've not seen these stories yet, so we're going to read them sight unseen. It's going to be terrifying slash hilarious. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. That was not Southern, by the way, Brian. It just Southern. It was just cheery. It's I just have a natural... For you, Southern is Southern-ish. cheery. Cheery is Southern. Did I ever tell you that for a long time, people asked where in the South I was from? No. Like, all the time. I was a skater, so I said words like rad and fun. And I, I don't know. I think people... When people have said I also... Uh, they, they say I sound like a Texan specifically, which I find... So interesting because I was born and raised right outside Detroit. So So let's specifically, did you, uh, the important thing that you just said here is when I used to use words like rad, did you actually use words like rad? Oh yeah, man. I was a, I was a skater. I know, but I didn't know if skaters actually use that word or uh if that was like all the skaters in the movies would be like rad, man. I was playing in a punk band and I was skating and that was, that's. You're so cliche. (laughs) So cliche. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. So if you're just joining us, uh, one of the things that we do 
every day is end the show with uh, Interweb Insanity and our executive producer, Keith Conrad, chooses the story. And he's been giving us a lot of ominous glances today. Yes, I'm worried. I'm extra nervous. He had a so full weekend to do this. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we don't know these stories and we don't know the sound effects that go with them at all. So uh, if you're deeply offended... Um, like at your core, you can just know let, that let, we let are Keith. too. Yeah, right, right. And we can all blame Keith together. All right, Brian Fromm, kick us off. From the state of Washington, Ooh. property owner gets revenge on a parked car. <laughs> a Seattle man took exception to a car share vehicle that was parked without permission at his duplex. So he built a fence around it. <laughs> Dan Smith told KIRO TV he doesn't know who parked the car to go Mercedes May 17th. But it wasn't one of his tenants. He contacted Share Now, the company that operates Car to Go, and gave them two hours to move the vehicle. A few hours after that, he built the barricade, preventing other customers from using it. He wants the company to pay $65 a day in storage fees, $300 for the fence, and up to $500 for harassment fees. In the written statement, Share Now suggested that might amount to extortion. Spokesman Tim Krebs told the AP on Thursday that the company is seeking help from the police. Holy cow! Oh, this isn't where I park my car. <laughs> That's a funny reference. All right, Canada, with no training, woman worked as a nurse for 20 years. <laughs> that sounds like Canada. A woman who had no training or certification worked as a nurse for 20 years before being caught and fired, Quebec's Order of Nurses says. She worked in several different departments in a hospital in say some it. French say word, it. Quebec. Some- Jean Query. <laughs> That's the name of the was town. That, was that Southern? <laughs> uh, including surgery, the CBC reports. Surgery? <laughs> Using the license number of another accredited nurse with the same name who works in the same region, an employee of the regional health board became suspicious when the woman tried signing up for a training course earlier this spring. The license number she was using showed a different place of employment than Jonquier Hospital. Don't worry, you won't feel a thing till I jam this down your throat. (laughs) Had we known our French accent would be so spot on. So the question is, did she get paid for the 20 years? Like, was she also getting paid or was she just... I'm assuming she wasn't volunteering. Uh, I don't know, because that other person was also getting paid. So how would they have gotten paid? I don't know. We're diving too deep. Canada's not even a real place. What's really fun is that someday, 20 years from now, we're going to be reading this headline with no training. Two (laughs) pastors worked as radio hosts for 20 years. (laughs) But worked will be in air quotes. Yes. (laughs) Pennsylvania, man who tried to sell daughter for $50, claims he was joking. This is a sad one. Keith. 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 Uh, a Pennsylvania man tried to hawk his infant dog. Oh, I don't know if I can read this to a stranger for a measly fifty dollars, but then claimed it was a joke. Dennis Ack, fifty nine, was arrested by Middletown police after a man told cops the dad walked past him late Wednesday while holding oh a baby gosh. and offered to sell him for a crisp fifty dollars. Uh, anyway, he asked, "Do you want to buy her?" I'm going to end this one, but I'll know that he said he was joking. Okay. How much for the little girl? The women. How much for the women? What? You're a woman. I, I, I want to buy your women, the little girl, your daughter. Sell them to me. Sell me your children. <laughs> We're going to get some hate mail for this <laughs> one, was, man. That was the one. Jeez, that was the one. That one broke us. We are done. England, driver tells police he had swerved to avoid an octopus. Ah, nice. When, <laughs> nice. Nice. He's really avoided it. When police attended the scene after Robert Shapley had crashed his car on A381 in Devon, he claimed that he lost control of his vehicle due to a sudden attack of sea creatures. The officer said he was incoherent and mumbled to them, having seen white bait, octopus, and other marine creatures on the road. 
Do I look like an octopus kid? I only have six arms. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Why am I getting all the dark ones here? You ready? Uh, Indi- ending on a dark note? Indiana. Oh, let's just go back to the octopus. Driver arrives at AA meeting more than three times over the legal limit for drinking. Oh, man. A report of a reckless driver Sunday night resulted in the arrest of a 47-year-old Chesterton man who allegedly arrived drunk to Al- Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. A witness told police that a driver, later identified as Robert Maddox, drove through the grass and into the parking lot of the church in the area. Police said that when they approached the vehicle, they smelled alcohol, and Maddox fumbled with his wallet in an attempt to retrieve his driver's license. Oh, my goodness. He faces charges of operating while intoxicated. My name is Barney, and I'm an alcoholic. Mr. Gumble, this is a Girl Scout meeting. Is it? Or is it that you girls can't admit you have a problem? Oh, my gosh. Keith is that friend that is like, he's he just goes over the line, but it's also funny. The Twitter handle is Keith Conrad. That's K-E-I-T-H-C-O-N-R-A-D. Let them know what you thought of those kickers. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. on The Common Good. My name is Ian Simmons, along with Brian Fromm on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.